Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Edward and we're going to talk about digital assets, how to create them or issue them, what's the process, how can his company Zero Hash uh, help. He's based in Chicago, United States, but don't be alarmed. You will hear a British accent, I think. So we, we can explain that a little bit as well. So hi, Edward. How are you today? Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. So you are based in Chicago. You sound English or British. So what's the story there? Yeah, so Chicago is home for me, the Windy City as it's known, beautiful place. But I came to the States about seven years ago, came for grad school and stayed. So that's it. But I grew up in South End, Essex. So that is that is my hometown. All right, understood. And you are a serial entrepreneur as well. So why have you chosen this path? You said you came to grad school. You made a lot of your classmates wanted to be consultants or bankers <laughs> or any type of other employees that you're the entrepreneur. So what drove you to this? Yes. So look, there's nothing wrong with being a consultant or banker. Uh, <laughs> we, we use them ourselves. But that just wasn't that just wasn't for me. I, I quite I, I, I think life is a, a series of snakes and ladders. And I prefer to take those ladders. And sometimes you get those snakes as an entrepreneur. But I prefer to not take that kind of very staggered approach. I, I like areas where a lot of the big players don't want to play. So my first business was in the industrial hemp space. We launched the first regulated market by the um, Commodities Futures Trading Commission, uh, the CFTC here in the US, and then got into crypto about three years ago. And believe it or not, banks, consultants, and traditional finance were really not keen on crypto. That's been the general trend in my career has been finding spaces where I think that there's a positional change and position ourselves and the dominoes may fall. And obviously a big part of any business is timing and being positioned. And sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're wrong with our previous business. We were probably about 10 years too early with crypto. Obviously, things have changed very quickly in the last year. And I think we're, we're well positioned for it. Right. And crypto means different things. For sure. example, the digital assets as well. And I know your latest venture enables clients to launch digital assets easily. So First of all, why are you a believer in digital assets? And then what does that mean, launching digital assets easily? When we say launching digital assets easily, it's less in the sense of we enable groups to mint digital assets. So for example, if you want to mint a stable coin or you want to mint a, an NFT, that is not currently something that we do. When we say launch digital assets, what we mean is the ability to support the movement of digital assets, whether it be, for example, the ability to buy and sell crypto assets, the ability to, for example, send to your friend digital assets on chain, peer-to-peer transfers. And one of the fastest growing parts of our business actually is digital asset rewards. So when you swipe your debit or credit card, you get rewarded in crypto. To your point, when we talk about digital assets, people often um, have this kind of sense of crypto assets are, are very narrow. 
or indeed an asset class. I always like to view digital assets or cryptography as a fundamental technology and digital assets in theory can be absolutely anything. It can be a piece of art. It can be a commodity. um, It can even be a security. And where we focus is on non-security tokens and we enable people to launch Uh, digital asset products embedded within their own infrastructure. And we basically solve two problems. We enable people to get to market without building out complex tech whilst owning the entire client experience. And secondly, they don't need to be regulated. And so here in the US, for example, we're regulated in each and every state. And so we power some of the largest neobanks, broker dealers, fintechs, and that's really what we do. Right. And if you come to the point that I was was trying to push as well, if you want to sell the idea to still non-believers, because it's very easy Mm. to preach to the converted. So why are you a believer in digital assets? Yeah, the the numbers speak for itself. I truly believe through groups like Zero Hash and others that every, every person, for example, within the United States and Europe will be able to have digital assets within an account where they already have an account. So that's going to lead to mass adoption in a very short period of time. So that makes me bullish about adoption. In terms of why digital assets are bullish, it depends on the digital assets. I'm not a bull on every single coin, for example. I I believe fundamentally with Bitcoin, for example, it's inflationary protection. But recently, I've become very interested in the NFT and, and creation space. And I think what's exciting about that is that it's incredibly powerful. You have this completely decentralized network and any creator can create something that has this immediate access and immediate distribution. And when you look at the big trends over the last few years, right, you look at the creator economies, you look at journalists using things like Stack Overflow, you look at TikTokers, that's now a career. We live in a creator economy and digital assets or part of the digital asset ecosystem really is the most powerful to enable that. Bullish on the fundamentals of Bitcoin and other coins, obviously, but also just generally the fundamental technology. Then you mentioned that you are focusing on non-securities types of, you know, digital assets, right? So what kind of digital assets are we talking about? You already hinted NFTs would be part of that. What else? Yeah, look, our view is that, so at least in the United States, and not taking too much of a United States-centric approach, we actually are a global company. We have people actually sitting in five continents, for example, and have clients from all over the world. But just to keep the conversation somewhat um, narrow, what we mean in the United States by security is whether it passes the Howey test or not, which is basically precedent about whether something is deemed a security or not. We... we we support, in our view, the, the largest crypto assets. And when you look at the top 50, probably a handful of those are securities. For example, we don't currently list BNB. We have, there's concern about it being a security, for example, with, with that asset. But I think in large part, most assets in the digital asset space, whether it be, for example, tokenized gold or Bitcoin or an NFT, these are not securities and therefore should not fall within the jurisdiction of a securities regulator. Most of the regulators, if they have a view on this, it probably would be the similar view in other Mm -hmm. countries as well. So if you were to describe the customer journey, how does your solution work? So if I'm a customer, potential customer, I come to you, I'd like to issue some NFTs. I don't know. Let's say that I think I'm so interesting. What I do on Sundays, I do the videos and I'll try to convert this to NFT, see how that goes. How would that work uh, with you? What would be the what would be the next steps? 
Yeah, so we would say, hey, look, this is how you this is how you mint the token. We would not do that for you. So we're not in the minting game or, or the creation space, right? So we don't tokenize ourselves. But what we do is, for example, we would say to you, hey, if you want to have this NFT or asset distributed to tens of millions of customers that, that we already support, we can do that, right? So we power, for example, some of the large neobanks, Moneyline. We power some of the largest broker dealers, groups like Tastyworks. And so we are more of a distribution network as opposed to a creation infrastructure. Um, but that, that may change over time. All right, understood. Now, just let's follow up a little bit on regulation once again, because you mentioned that you focus on digital assets that are not securities, therefore, obviously not regulated as the securities would be, but you are regulated yourself anyway, or not? Yes, we're super highly regulated. So just in the United States, we actually hold over 46 um, different regulatory money trends. Well, just taking a step back, the US is a patchwork of regulation. It, it, every state can control the movement of funds within that jurisdiction and crypto falls within the, the, the currency or money. And so we're regulating each and every state as a money transmitter. We then have a few, a very small number of exemptions. We then are a money service business at the federal level. And then we also hold a bit license with the state of New York, which is a separate license that kind of is, is for crypto specifically if you want to service New York. So we are highly regulated and that's part of our offering is we take on that regulatory structure and our clients, right? So platforms such as Moneyline or Tastyworks do not need to be regulated themselves, but can open up access to crypto to their clients effectively through a couple of lines of code. But yes, we're regulated. doesn't mean we want everything to be regulated. And you mentioned that you are B2B distribution platform, really. So where are you on your journey? Who are your target clients and what are your ambitions? We're technically B2B to C. So every client of our customer or of our partner needs to legally be a client of ours. All that means really is that they have to sign a user agreement with us and we have to know who that customer is. But that's no different to any infrastructure that exists in fintech today. So when, if you, for example, go to most neobanks, they actually have a back-end banking provider, what people term banking as a service. Most brokers um, have a broker as a service. And in those setups, you also have to sign a direct relationship with the infrastructure provider. Our, our thesis is that every fintech company will support crypto within the next 12 months. And it's quite easy to see why. When you look at the success of Cash App, when you look at the success of Robinhood, for example, these are now crypto companies. And so it can no longer be ignored. And then more broadly, I think potentially every customer or every platform in the world could eventually become a customer as well. All of every group is embedded in finance or every customer facing group is embedded in finance into their product offering. And now they're starting to think about embedding crypto. And so we've got a, a large number of buy now, pay later firms, for example, beginning to offer crypto through zero hash. In terms of where we are in our journey, we're a 65 person company. We're quickly, we'll be over 100 people. We are a remote first company. We're now a profitable business, which is nice. And we just closed our Series C financing that was led by 0.72. Wonderful. Obviously, if you mention point seventy two, some people who worked there also worked in big banks before and incumbents, sure. right? So obviously, when you talk about the fintech community, they are embracing digital assets. How do you see the traditional financial services firms or banks approaching and maybe changing their views on digital assets? So how do you see that from an incumbents angle? 
And do you work with incumbents as well? Fundamentally, you can be skeptical, but I think you've got to engage with crypto at this point. And fundamentally, there is customer demand. If you look at, for example, at Coinbase, their market cap is bigger than a large number of banks. If you look at the performance of incumbent financial institutions over the last three years, I saw a report from CV Insights that showed, I think, that out of the 10 largest financial services companies in an incredibly bullish market, only two of them actually had their share price increase. And so there is certainly disruption that is occurring, and I think crypto is part of that. But I also think that these groups will be forced to adopt crypto. And if you look at the adoption cycle, you have the first movers, you then have the the soon to follow, and then you have the late adopters. And I think it will be the banks which are the ones that are late to follow. We are having discussions with large banks, but these decisions take a long time. They've got dozens of different regulators, which complicates things exponentially. And so banks are certainly starting to move into this space, but it's going to take some time. And that's okay. Group clients will go elsewhere and that will lead to to disruption. And piling up on this, you also, I know that you also believe in the big opportunities in finance 2.0. So let's maybe define it as well. What do you mean by this? Because obviously everybody describes it in a slightly different way. And then where do you see those opportunities in when people are transitioning from finance 1.0 or basic finance as we know it, or threat finance mm-hmm. or threat fi? To finance 2.0, there's going to be a, there's going to be a, a space for when people talk about disruption. It doesn't mean that something completely disappears, or it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case. We will we will still use a traditional fear. I still think we'll use debit card and credit cards. What I think will happen is that, and this is just one example. I think that we will begin to use stable coins, and it will be an alternative payment mechanism. It doesn't mean that it becomes a hundred percent of our payment mechanism. And I think what you'll start to see is that stable coins will then be start to be used to create high yield savings accounts through DeFi. And you'll start to have that ecosystem really start to flourish. When you look at, obviously, Facebook's project around stable coins has a lot of emotion over it. But what it does show is that the largest companies are seriously looking at this. And that that will cause um, some disruption. So when, when we talk about Finance 2.0 or you know Web3, what we're talking about is new means of transferring value, whether it be a means of transfer or a store of value. And it means that will become a larger and very meaningful part of people's day-to-day, not necessarily 100%. I think maybe over time it could become 100%, but that will take time. People still use the telephone, even though everyone texts and uses Slack and everything else, but we no longer use the fax machine. And so it, it takes time. It's not a binary thing. These disruptions take time and it it goes through a long period of grayness where it's both worlds. It's great that I never personally bought a fax machine. I would be very unhappy. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. I'm too young. Actually, I do do remember using a fax machine. I was a young kid. I I actually don't know why I was using a fax machine, but I do remember using one in a very odd machine. In an office, yes, but not at home, that's for sure. You talked about finance 2.0, so... Let's unpack these buzzwords as well. What's the overlay with DeFi? Yeah, one of the, one of the areas that we're, we're we're increasingly growing in is to provide access to DeFi networks. And so we're working now with one of the, the, the largest neobanks in the United States to effectively offer access to DeFi for their clients. Now, we're not making any fiduciary decisions for the client, but what it does do is provide the infrastructure for clients to really easily 
take USD, convert it into USDC, and then place it on a protocol that they choose, whether it be, for example, Compound or Aave. The benefits of doing so is doing it outside of that is pretty complex and it can be also pretty costly. So there are massive econ economies of scale and making it super, super simple for clients. And so that's what, we, that's what we mean by DeFi is effectively opening up access to these decentralized networks in a really easy and cost-efficient way. Sounds very interesting. Now, obviously, if somebody would like to go deeper, they'd like to read up on it. Can you recommend further reading on digital assets or DeFi or whether it's a book or a blog or somebody that you follow? Yeah, there's a book out there called um, How to DeFi um, on Amazon. I think it's about 20 bucks. I think reading the Compound white paper is pretty interesting. The Aave white paper is pretty interesting. And then we're planning on putting out some more, more kind of material and content ourselves. And so you can follow us on LinkedIn at ZeroHash or you can follow us on Twitter um, and we'll hopefully start to add to the conversation. All right, that's great. So thank you so much. And my last question is, where do people find you? You just mentioned your social media handles, but if uh, you have potential clients or business partners that would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way to, to get in touch? Best way to get in touch is either to email me at edward at zerohash.com or to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And it's a bit of a tongue twister. My parents didn't think this through too much, but my name is Edward Woodford. And so you can add me on LinkedIn as well. All right, brilliant. So thank you very much, Edward. And uh, good luck to Zero Hash. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.